0: It is like an iron man suit you know, there's so many things that can empower us i never imagined years ago i'd be having a discussion like this with you you know the fact that more than two people might even hear it you know and so i think that you know more than you think you can reach more people than you think and you can make it have a bigger impact than you think and
1: So welcome everyone to WorkPod. Today we have with us Jeff Kavanaugh, and he is uh, a global head of Infosys Knowledge Institute. And um, I think Jeff is a, is a great addition to our, our conversation because he's talking about something which is very, very critical for us today. Uh, how we are all going through disruption and evolution. Are um, our organizations going through the same? So he had a, a fabulous book, uh, the live, the live enterprise, and we will talk about the book as well. So with that, uh, Jeff, welcome to the podcast.
0: Glad to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: So, uh, by the way, Jeff, fascinating um, journey. I love I love the book. Let's let's talk about let's talk about what brought you to this topic. How far back do you want
0: to go? <laughs> day, day one would do. <laughs> Well, they won, uh I grew up on a farm and I only bring that up because very practical things have to work. Right. Uh, and you know, bailing wire and duct tape is a cliche for a reason, you know? So I think it was original design thinking, you know, you, you may do with what you had, Yeah. but seriously, this idea that uh, things need to be practical and you can internalize them are really served well. Uh, as far as fast forward a little bit, uh, I guess you'd say for this topic of, of just disruption and and business transformation, it's been um, a career in consulting, or at least the last last uh, half or so of manufacturing. Earlier, where you see companies going through change, and even though today things seem to happen faster, people uh, have have succeeded and failed for many years. It's just you know the, the technology and the circumstances have changed. I think what's been really interesting is at emphasis, especially the past few years, um, the role I've had is a front row seat to see us going through some disruptive change, to see with senior clients, in some cases, household names with industries, and in some cases, these names you haven't heard of, but are fascinating stories. Um, and, and, and most recently, probably about three years ago, emphasis really took this thing head on. You've heard of jumping the S curves or changing trajectories. We were kind of in that mode, which is a long discussion itself if you ever wanted to have. And how we went about that and the story that unfolded from that, I felt was just such an important story that needed to be told to capture and chronicle it, distill the essence. And then as a consultant, while strategy is really cool and everybody runs to it, and, and and transactions are important, and you need to get these things done. I've always been fascinated by the operating model, um, the humble operating model, which is so important because it translates strategy, big thinking, you know, Michael Porter esque five forces kinds of things into reality. So it's it's like flying from ground level to fifty thousand feet. It's that in between level that actually gets things done. It's strategic enough to get to to have a big impact, but it's tactical enough. To get stuff done, and that's what the live enterprise uh, became. As far as the book, uh, actually, the book—the second thing—it was really about just doing it ourselves and making sure that the crucible, you know, what it yielded, uh, was something that was successful. And that's one thing you often don't see with frameworks and concepts: is every single element going through the cycle, you know, going through the trials, and only the best and only what works. You know, coming out the other side.
1: Interesting. So, um, why um, tell us about your journey? So, um, in in uh, what brought you to consulting?
0: I think a fascination with solving problems. Um, I say, grew up on a farm, and you know, back back then, you basically teachers and maybe some some doctors. But other than that, you went to the went to the big city. Um, to there we go, I lost the camera for a second, and I think studying engineering that was fascinating because things worked and how they fit together went into manufacturing and manufacturing is fascinating worked in some of the Star Wars programs if you recall those back in the day, and some some of the advanced technologies that were going on. But manufacturing at the time, although it was really interesting, things took a long time to develop and was fascinated by the uh, by this idea of professional services where you could work with clients. You could go out and do things faster and learn faster. And so did go into consulting and was, was fortunate enough to be in that, that, that uh, time period where advanced planning and scheduling, where technology, you know, some of the first AI, some of the first uh, true computing breakthroughs allowed fantastic things to happen in supply chain, in order management, customer service. And although it wasn't cloud-based, you know, it was very much in the factory. It was amazing you know, what was out there. So I think that got me going and understanding that there's always this new frontier where technology could could um, solve problems uh, and gradually doing more and more strategy. But the thing that was amazing to me or, or maybe it was missing was was aware of this strategy consulting, aware of mm-hmm. these strategic concepts. And yet, because I didn't go to a business school, I went to engineering school because I wasn't part of you know that small number of firms that really drill it into you had to pick it up in pieces along the way so I'd work with someone from McKinsey or someone who used to be at Bain or someone who used to do this or used to do that and I would try it or in my own MBA program that you know I'm doing in, in the evenings because I was working full-time uh, I would experiment and you know was there market research or something else and it, the things that worked I added to the toolbox and over time Uh, that became almost like it's an intellectual or a uh, a quest, you know, for learning. And over time it kept growing and growing and finally realized it was approaching, you know, what the traditional uh, uh, strategy or or analytical consultant would have and began teaching it, teaching it to the consultants on my team, you know, into becoming a partner in a consulting organization, teaching it across the firm because it became in charge of some of the onboarding and broader and broader uh, and then also with University of Texas at Dallas, I uh, had some relations there and they asked me to to join their faculty as an adjunct, help fashion some courses on insights and then thought, well, how can you make a bigger impact? And of course, the biggest impact I think you can make is maybe through a book or now mm-hmm. maybe through something as a video. And so went that route. And there is an old saying that if you want to learn something, teach it. I think the next level is if you want to really learn something, mm. write it down and publish it. <laughs> because every single pixel, every single <laughs> character, you, know, you need to be purposeful and intentful. Like Michelangelo and the David, you know, mm. you, you, you want enough to convey what you need to, but no fluff. And, and you know, you, so you want to convey the essence of it. So that's been the journey. And then over the last few years, uh, the, the, the executives, the senior leaders at Infosys have said, you know, we need something like that like a uh, I hate to say it but like a McKinsey Global Institute for Infosys or or a research and thought leadership arm and so through some funding and um, a fantastic team I was able to hire we've done that and so we're a couple of years into it and uh, it's neat to see what we've what we've achieved and more importantly the platform that we've uh, provided for experts across our company and even outside the company to find a global reach
1: I think this is this is fascinating, by the way. So one thing that that I was I was thinking about, and and when we talked about briefly before the conversation as well, that it seems whenever I hear uh, from a consulting someone from the consulting company, they're actually like doctors to organizations today. So they're actually dealing with the current challenges. They have mm-hmm. pretty pretty interesting sort of eyeballs and, and 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 toolkit to help address the current pains and agonies of organizations so and then you you think about uh, the learning and the insight that they gather from all those all those conversations so something like um, knowledge institute makes perfect sense right so it's, it's like uh, if you're a consulting company why like so my question to you is why we are not seeing something like this with every consulting company like why are why are mckinsey global or uh, infosys knowledge institute and not 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 every other uh, consulting company who are actually dealing with spending a lot of time in, ta- in dealing with clients can, can produce something like this.
0: I think there are two or three not very pretty or glamorous, but, but real answers to that. One is the people who are best positioned to create these insights, they've got more than a full-time job. Like I did mention earlier in discussion that consulting uh, properly done can be like a black hole because you can always do more. You can always serve the client more. You can be thinking, you can be, there's never enough time. And so every moment you spend on something that doesn't give you a fairly quick return, like writing, publishing, sharing knowledge, uh, it's time you could be sp- spending with with clients, with your people, or God forbid, a personal life in your family, right? Mm. So I think that's one element. The other is a purpose of this thought leadership is marketing or business development and so if it's in the marketing department many companies they take a direct path almost to product marketing where that that paper becomes a quick testimonial or a brochure and the moment you you even if you lay out a problem if you quickly leap to say and the solution is hire us hmm. it 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 it's tough and so it takes a certain amount of um i don't want to say intellectual, not not, not ethics, it's it's, uh, just uh, discipline maybe, or or the ability to say, you know what, we're going to decouple and we're going to say, we're going to develop this issue, we're going to talk about it. And yes, an answer to this is going to be the product or service that you have, but you can't make it uh, as direct a connection. Hmm. And I think if you can have those both be distinct, the product or services marketing, and your thought leadership as you share it, you make it compelling, Uh, I I think that's important. And we're we're striving hard to achieve that because we don't want to be in an ivory tower.
2: Mm. We
0: don't want to be disconnected and simply write big thoughts and literally Mm. thinking we're some kind of basic research, nor do we want to be writing copy. Uh, And so it's a balancing act that uh, I'm proud of what our team's done so far. And we work closely with uh, the senior executive team from, from the chairman, Chief Marketing Officer, COO to whom I report, uh, leads of business units and service lines, as well as some other functions, trying to get that balance right. And I think the biggest thing is getting that feedback to know Hmm. how to navigate because the market also tells you uh, maybe they do want a solution at times. So maybe a very in-depth case study about how we partnered with someone to help them roll out an agile transformation across Latin America or South America. Whereas in some cases, it might be uh, like recently with the vaccine. We actually worked as a partner with Salesforce Mm. to create this vaccine management solution. So it was as topical as topical could get. And then in some cases, it might be a way of looking at solving a problem, which we Mm. tried to do more with live enterprise model. There's no sales pitch there. It's an operating model. If you do these four or five things, regardless of who you buy from, what equipment you buy, what you do. These concepts we believe will help you, and yes, our company can help with the things below the concepts. But you don't need us to go do that. Right. So that's that's the goal.
1: So so walk us walk us to the to initial days of of mm-hmm. of creating something like um, knowledge institute. So S- mm-hmm. Infosys is uh, drinking the same Kool Aid that, that every other consulting company is drinking, right? So they also felt that mm-hmm. okay, we should put our horses in producing more sales how like what it takes to convince um a company to say okay no let's think bigger let's think broader let's think sort of in contributing to the society as we are learning and and engaging with a lot of lot of current challenges we
0: can maybe spun out something interesting we were fortunate and i don't want to just say this but but nanda nilakani is a visionary and you know for those that, that know he's, he's done so many things and i think his fingerprints and his guidance you know, helped with that now other senior executives that you know, felt the same way so it helped generally speaking to have that mindset for for a small number of the, the very senior people second i did some hardcore research and talked to my counterparts at those firms i just mentioned hmm. the elite strategy firms and others and understood and is able to share that and say to our company, if you want to be like them, here's more or less the way it's done. If you don't, and so I think giving them data, data is so important because it, it helps people get past this uh, persuasion you know, or this uh, negotiation. Am I going to negotiate with you? Or are you are going to believe me because I'm loud or because it's flashy or it's cool? Well, if you have data, credible information, th- that helped. The other is we ran fast, we tried to do some things early on, they were small, that made an impact. Like for example, the first couple of months, we generated I think six to uh, 12 small pieces of thought leadership or articles. We took our industries, six different ones and created two items each that illustrated a point much more effectively than those experts were doing mm. prior. Mm. And so six industry heads got information, and they were able to share and say, oh, okay. So this goes back to get, you know, you can call it agile, you can call it six week cycles, but I set up sprints so that every three to six weeks, these things would come out on a small scale, and it gave some reinforcement to the larger items. Um, And then the other is recognize that although we were separate and distinct, we rolled up to the COO, that our chief marketing officer and his organization, marketing was really important. And we weren't on opposite sides. Uh, and so, we worked to see for the major events coming up, like, for example, we were big at Davos. We have a major presence there. So, we designed a report they could release and our CEO could be part mm-hmm. of. So, all of a sudden, we integrated as much as possible into the into the engine. And there's an old saying about, you know, you want to stand out, but you don't want to literally go off into your own thing. You've got to mm-hmm. respect the engine. So, I think it was that combination doing something distinctive and yet respecting the engine and, and then the functions that were there. And then finally, uh, and maybe it's a, it can be an- causing anxiety or stress, but we wanted to be world-class from day one, even for the small things, mm-hmm. the best sentence, the best graphic, the, 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 the best paper, the best layout. And you know, you don't start that way. But with that mindset, we quickly um, separated ourselves from you know, the, the quality of thinking, the way it was laid out, and even, you know, if you and I sh- looked at a painting, the Mona Lisa, uh, Last Supper, any of these, the David sculpture, you might not be able to artistically critique it, but you know if it looks good. There's something that it imparts upon you. and I think many people are like that with good writing and effective business writing as well. And that's what we strive to do
1: interesting so so you are so you, great leader right that's, that's definitely a, a part of recipe in 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 helping you structure this particular um, enterprise so if there's a there's a listener or viewer who is working at a consulting company who is looking at you and saying okay sure you can pull it off you, lead, you have progressive leaders maybe my leader is not that progressive or or at least i'm not able to communicate it that well what suggestions do you have for, for, for those individuals who felt the need that we should have something like that, but just they couldn't just pull it up
0: yeah. or pull it out? Well, let's first of all, it's not T sub zero, which is when we began it.
2: Mm. This
0: journey really began well in advance. Mm. That was me before. We didn't have leaders in consulting that mm. maybe had the budget mm. to do something like this or the groups mm. I was working in. So I just did something small myself. I wrote something small. Uh, Looked across the company and partnered on a few papers. Um, found ways to be useful to marketing. You know, was an MC at some of our conferences. Just <laughs> contributed. Mm. It took time. There mm. was not it was not my metrics or goals, uh, but it just helped. And so gradually, I think that gets you noticed. And it also it's the crucible of what's relevant because there are a lot of people who may write something or create something you're very proud of, it's just not connected. There's no mm-hmm. audience or nobody cares or there maybe it doesn't resonate with them. And so to, to answer your question, I think the first thing is practice your craft. Mm-hmm. We live in a magic time, with it's Medium or WordPress or innumerable number of platforms, no one is holding you back. The only friction on your success as a writer is you getting your pen and your paper and you go after it or your keyboard, just do it. Put one good sentence together. Even if you're a consultant, you do something, write about it, convey the essence of it. And that's the thing, not what you did, but what it meant. Deconstruct this whole thought leadership ladder. I, this is, you know, I've spent some time looking at this and there's seven levels. You start with a primer. This is what it is. This is procurement. This is marketing, whatever. Not bad if you've never heard of it or you're a student. Mm. But if if you're speaking to someone who's an expert, it's not good enough. The next level of the ladder is best practices or good practices. Again, it's better because you're taking a few anecdotes that show what good looks like. But still, if you're talking to someone who's proficient, not real stimulating. The next level is an anecdote of benchmarks, statistics. Mm. This Mm. is where most thought leadership in in, uh, business ends. It's the survey, hmm. we talk to 500 executives and is cloud important? And you, you nod your head very solemnly. Many of these things are obvious. You know, it's the pie charts, it's a few bar charts. Uh, and in the end, are you really living your life differently? Probably not. But at the end, the recommendation is go buy more of our stuff. And so it's, it's, a, it's not bad, especially if you, if you capture the zeitgeist of that time. Like if you know what a bunch of executives like you or managers are thinking, There's absolutely value to that, but it's pretty ephemeral because in a quarter or so it's changed. That next level is where it gets interesting. You look at the implications of something, the so what? There is something that happened. It carries implications. It caused you to step back and think for a moment. What's this mean? Hmm. It's good, but keep going. The next level is the insight. It's a bold, non-obvious, and possibly counterintuitive thought that took some time to, to discern, and I know you're a big fan of data and analytics, and that's the power of data, is you can look at a data set and you can find patterns, clusters, anomalies, outliers that are, that are just amazing. And if you, if you share those, that causes you to rethink, like for example, you know like in the Pareto analysis, did you know that a 10% or 20% of your salespeople generate hmm. all of your sales, 80% or or if you look at those graphs where most of your profits are actually generated by this small number. In fact, if you just sent half your people to Hawaii and don't sell to these folks, you'll make more money.
2: Hmm. You
0: know, so those insights, people are thirsty for insights. They are just they're the, the magic, the, 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 the lingua franca of um, thought leadership. The next level is a recommendation. This is really cool because you not only have an insight, some expert who's been down that path says, here's what you do to make your life better. You can't fake that because if you haven't done it or you aren't working with an expert, you, you, you can't make a recommendation other than pouring, you know, basic bland jargon on somebody that's all really good. The final level, the seventh level, I believe is the story. Can you make it so it reads at least a little bit like that novel you just can't put down? So I tell our folks, you're not competing with that tech firm, that product company. You're competing with JK Rowling mm. or Dan mm. Brown, or you're competing mm. basically for that podcast they could be listening to. It's people's precious time. And let's, that's who your real competitor is. Uh, so that to me is anyone can do that, by the way, mm. just begin and practice and, and the better you look for tools. In fact, if you go to com slash IKI, while a lot of our stuff's internal, I'm putting more and more of it out there. You know, I view that it, we're doing a service to the world. If we can help people think more logically and clearly and communicate, because goodness knows we need to get people that are fact-based to make decisions based on data, hmm. at least to support what they're doing. And so if we can help a little bit with that, that's a good thing. So, so, um, good
1: point, uh, Jeff. So talk about some of the struggles that you faced building, um, this institute. So some of, some of, some of your bottlenecks, some of, and how do you, uh, and, and feel free to be as vulnerable as possible to educate our, our because I think many times mm-hmm. the pain resonates with many, many other leaders and, and, and as they're listening mm-hmm. and viewing, so that will, yeah.
0: Well, the first point of decision was, do we hire people in the company and teach them the thought leadership part, you know, the, the writing and the other part, because they know the tech or they know the internal know company. Mm. I did a quick experiment, you know, internal job posting, and after looking at dozens and dozens and putting some writing tests and other things in place, it just didn't work. And so that was the first challenge. You know what? We need to go external, but nobody externally got this. We hired the first person, even that was through a referral, and then after she joined you know, an Emmy award-winning producer, you know, uh, Catherine, who did some video work, and and she made some referrals. And then we started getting into the media community. We started talking to people who were very talented, but you didn't know about our world. So I think that first challenge is, maybe you need to access some talent outside of who you normally know. Mm. Uh, that, That was a big thing. And then also convince people, to join and convince people in our company that, yes, we should hire those because we were changing the norm. Uh, not anymore, but again, that was a, a change. And the next thing, of course, is um, this budget, uh, hmm. less so the very first year. Uh, but but, you know, it's a it's a challenge because, mm-hmm. again, we aren't competing with whether it's a good idea or not. I'm very happy with all of our executives. They support what we're doing. But does that next dollar go to hiring a salesperson Mm. or a conference sponsorship or something else? It's the opportunity cost. Mm. It's knowing who your dollars and your time are competing with. So I think that's a challenge you can't take lightly at any size firm. Uh, Another challenge is trying to use these tools like the website, the marketing engine, filters, email lists, newsletters, whatever it happens to be, and working within the system because it, ha- it won't happen as fast as you want. And you'll be tempted to try to do it on your own, which will lack the scale. You'll be, you'll be this project off to the side. How do you work within the system and change? It takes a lot longer than you'd like. And yet in the end, it's a team effort and you're actually driving real change. We like to toss around transformation and change and all that. Well, real change means you're working with people. And everything that we, that we do, somebody else in the company was responsible for before, right? It was done in some capacity. So gradually you're going through a process where people are saying, no, 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 I do that. Mm. To, well, we'll work together, to you're pretty good at this, to yes, you can actually tell our group a few, a few things that might help us. And I think that um, there's just no substitute. Some things mm. have taken us many months longer than I want them to. And you know, my team can, can tell you, my unit can, that I'm not patient with with them a lot of things, but with that we had to be. Hmm. Things just take time
2: hmm.
0: in some cases. So those are the major challenges. And then finally, once you do accomplish your goals, I think continue to, you know, to raise your gaze. Is there a top tier publication? Is there a conference? Is there a capability? Um, is there some expertise that you don't have yet? And this is a fast changing world. I mean, change, you know, media and and marketing and uh, just digital in general is, is moving so quickly that you need to have the expertise. So I think there's always something else you can learn. And I think as long as you're doing that, you can hit the pillow each night knowing you're doing all you can. And it's, it's pretty interesting work. I tell people, you know, some of the stuff we do it almost do for free, you know, it's interesting. (laughs) Um, And so I think, you've got to keep that it's partly hunger but i think it's mostly curiosity and a sense of you're able to serve and share more if you're equipped to have better capabilities interesting
1: so uh, let's let's now shift focus to outfacing right so uh, and and by the way thank you thank you for sharing uh, your perspective Hopefully on that was um, helpful yeah and definitely uh, and i hope our, our listeners and viewers can take away something from this conversation about how they can themselves start building an in-house center of excellence when it comes to producing and, and uh, sort of knowledge uh and spreading it out so fascinating by the way for the inbound also so um now let's talk about the outfacing so what are some of the things that you are seeing with respect to how organizations are 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 impacted by COVID like what are some can you share something about what you are seeing is happening around you uh,
0: through your sure, consulting yeah sure uh, and some of it might have become instant cliches but I'll share them anyway because they're real mm. um part of it is it's revealed as much as it's created mm. so things that were happening it's accelerated trends it's revealed things uh as as a you know, I did the master black belt thing several years ago, and so efficiency, lean is really important. I think it it, it um, the pandemic has, has 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 cast a harsh light on being only efficient but not very resilient,
2: mm-hmm. or
0: brittle. That there's a reason why insurance policies and buffers are there. Uh, my my favorite. I'm a tennis tennis fan, tennis nut, and Wimbledon has carried pandemic insurance for the last sixty years or hundreds since you know, the Spanish flu. And guess what? It paid out last, last, Mm. uh, last summer. And, and so I think that's one big thing is, is, is think about resilience, whether it's having enough toilet paper in the U S or whether it's, you know, whatever it is, do you get enough sleep? That's resilience, you know, all victim with that. Uh, are you thinking about trends? Can there be a little less of taking care of today and a little more of tomorrow sometimes? Um, or resilience in your relationships, you know, at work or personal. So I think I think the resilience part is important. The other is the companies and people who had adopted, uh, aggressively adopted, the benefits of digital and these exponential technologies. I think it really it really showed because the ones that did were able to move quickly mm-hmm. because they had the cloud because they had all these sensors and it was going on because they could shift employees to work from home because they could add new product lines or shift what they were producing. If you didn't and you relied upon in-person traditional experiences, traditional ways of doing things, and you literally were were regulated or or, or, uh, legislated that you couldn't get in person, you couldn't do this, you couldn't do that, you're dead in the water. You know, caveat, some industries like travel, mm. cruise ships, et cetera, it just, it, it's tough mm. no matter what. I'm talking about the mm. different companies in the same industry that happen to, to uh, fare better. So I think that was something also that came out. Uh, and then the other thing that I think it revealed is there is a mental side and a mental health side to a lot of this as well, that even physically, if you're fine. Mm-hmm. What are the effects on a team, on an individual, on a family? Mm-hmm. On the one hand, people that complain they had to travel too much or they had to go to a long commute, they'd rather be home all the time. Well, maybe after being home all the time, <laughs> it's best to have a little bit of space and balance. Um, so I think there's lots of experiments like that that went on and people got tired of them pretty quickly and yet they drag on and on. So I think mental, the, the unseen toll of mental health, um, And then that's even before you talk about the non-business side where it's, you know, with school kids and, and, Mm -hmm. uh, education in person versus the other. So to me, those are the big items that that have come up and the positive side, I think because it forced, it reduced the opportunity cost of experimenting with things before that weren't considered safe. Like, could you really do an important, uh, seminar? Or mm. panel, or mm. a conference remotely. Well, maybe you could, but nobody would come, and we've got to do it in person. Mm. Well, we after after all these experiments, now people are realizing there are certain things you can do very well, and certain technologies and platforms have adapted. Like we we created one. I think there are some other companies have as well, where it's not just like this go to meeting. Mm. There are breakout rooms, and there's security, mm. and there's all mm. these other types of things that actually simulate mm. going to a conference. Hmm. So, anyway, those are some of the things i see
1: uh and and um I think that's 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 amazing so now let's let's talk about the book um so why the name the live
0: enterprise <sighs> Well, first of all, you've got to evolve and move and change because times are changing around, and if you, anyone that's been in services or running any kind of program has probably heard the phrase the rate of market change
2: Mm.
0: is faster than your ability to respond. The five-year programs, when the market changed every two years, the two-year programs when it changed every year, every time you finished one of these programs or projects, you were behind. It's a pretty Mm. deflating thing. It's pretty disheartening. And so you've got to literally, as a first principle, design something to be at least as fast as the market change to stay relevant which is hard Um, and the idea of being live also, we took a lot of examples from nature. Uh, Mm. There's an elegance and a beauty. You know, we, we, in the first part of each chapter, we we highlight like murmuration, for example, it's a big word.
2: Mm.
0: Basically it's how birds move.
2: Mm.
0: You know, there's no alpha bird, Mm. there's no org chart. There's not, and yet they operate with such complexity. And when you study this, you find, that each bird takes its cue from the six around them it's mm. literally a bunch of scrum teams
2: mm.
0: and and we thought that's a good not just metaphor but there's some principles there for how a large enterprise can operate with a series of small teams and so there there are, there are many of those that have come out um and so we thought the live enterprise also reflected this non digital cyborg um skynet kind of terminator future and more of this uh, human centric. So it's evolving, it's alive. It isn't just cold and digital. It's, there's an empathetic human dimension, experience dimension to it. So that's why the live enterprise is the name we chose.
1: Interesting. And uh, now let's, so what is, the, what is the live element in it? So what, what defines an organization as live or not live
0: in, in, your, in, in your perspective? Well, there's a journey. Um, The first step is you need to be connected. You need to connect humans. You need to connect your data, really connect your data, structured, unstructured, make it available and things. There's a phrase called the dividends, of the smartphone wars, where all these, these devices and sensors that used to be extremely expensive for aeronautics are now a dollar or less, Mm. you know, GPS and sensors and telemetry people, things and data. So, you connect all this. Well, then mm. you can observe them. And once you observe them, you can then start to take action. You, you, you Use the word sentient. It's just awareness. Mm. And you can have response. You can respond. Because in a world where you can document a process, you can automate a process
2: mm.
0: and then optimize it. And that's where the problem finding or the, 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 the modeling and the more empathetic aspects of it, humans can do while more and more is automated. So you get beyond that, then it's more agile and nimble. And that's where we start saying it's alive because for many response, many senses uh, or inputs, you can actually have a response. For example, that little chat bot you might have in the corner of your screen quite often, it's not a human being anymore. It's okay. If for certain questions you need a quick answer, you don't care. Uh, And so that's where there's an alive aspect to the organization because you want to continue to morph and evolve. That's why we chose the live piece. Then finally, that's more innovative, taking more of a venture capital approach where let's say you launch a a lot of ideas, Mm. you nurture and feed the ones at at stage gates that, that seem to work out and the ones that don't, you redirect the resources. And so this idea of continuing to reallocate your capacity, reallocate your, your attention uh, and doing it in a way where these lots and lots of small teams and ideas, and yet you have this central, maybe tools group or platform, because in a, you can't have a thousand people in their own Silicon Valley garages, right? You, you need to have some kind of structure to scale. And so the ability to have the best of that independent team and yet have some central platform. Some central way that's consistent, plus if if um, person A over here has found something out to work well by being consistent, you can share that, mm. unbundle it take the things that work, and person B can then build on that. Mm. And you know Facebook calls it their social graph, LinkedIn mm. has their employee graph. Well, every company should have a knowledge graph of some kind mm. where you're collecting your knowledge. Everything possible is connected. And then you could make use of it. Because if you don't, and other people are, you will fall behind. And the margins, you know, between companies that do and don't will just expand over time.
1: Yeah, fair point. So on that note, so what is, from your point of view, what is a not living, not live organization? Or or dead organization? Uh, Like What do
0: you call that? Command and control. Let's say we're headquarters in London or Dallas or Bangalore or New York. And we tell you what to do once a year. We have the annual plan. Maybe even the quarterly plan. Um, and it's it's pretty much top-down or marketing. Or the org chart is pretty traditional with roles. Or uh, a non-live is where you look at where someone went to school or the degree they had and not the demonstrated skills they have in a relevant capability now. Um, I those are all point examples of what a static or non live organization will be and again there's not, nothing that's either binary all yes all right. no but the more that you can move towards that the more that your capabilities allow you to be more nimble and also deal with people in a way that is real that's live as well because do you want corporate speak coming at you from your company or something that recognizes that there are different pools of talent different schools, different credentials, uh, and the way you work with your people. It's a big element of the live enterprise as well. I haven't said a lot about being customer-centric. Yes, that's really important. But customers for a long time have gotten the headlines. Mm. Employees have gotten second second mm. trip. Mm. Think about the apps. The last of the green screens were not for the customers trying to buy something from you. It's for your employee trying to
2: mm.
0: uh, apply for vacation or or expense reports. These are ugly things and they're laptop driven. And, you know, the last few years, last couple of years, and especially the past year, we've seen an explosion of the better experience for an employee. That by equipping them, by by giving them more of what they need, they can you know, do a better job being customer centric. And I think it all, did, did it take a pandemic hmm. to get companies to really be concerned about their health,
2: hmm.
0: really be concerned about. The, the, the workers. I think it certainly shined a light on that. And that's something I don't think will change. I think it's also coincident with the rise of stakeholder capitalism because mm. stakeholder capitalism isn't just about mm. the environment, mm. isn't just about ethics and fair trade. It's also the S in ESG is society. It's your community and it's your employees. Uh, they're, they're an important stakeholder. It is not a shareholder, but a very important stakeholder. So that, that. To us is also part of being live. So, so you,
1: you talked about stakeholder capitalism. Like, shed some more light. What, what what does it even mean?
0: Well, if you look at Milton Friedman who from the seventies, had mentioned that the ultimate goal of a company is to generate returns for shareholders. Mm. A lot of good things happen from that because that funds foundations. Most of the hospitals you see, there's someone's name in front of it. That 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 make a lot of money and, and founded it. So, so it, it, it has worked out to some extent in the past. For better or worse now, the um, leaders in many aspects of society, including the big money firms like Larry Fink or BlackRock, hmm. are saying, you know, we expect companies, it's okay if they make a lot of money, it's okay if they grow, to take a greater role. You know, whether it's not polluting too much, whether it's not being a burden on our planet or society, uh, whether it's not being unfair with their employees um, or contributing their community. So stakeholder capitalism is a broad term, meaning that all those stakeholders, the people who have a stake, which you can include the planet, I suppose, in that, Mm. um, that they get a return. And you measure the, the net return of a company, not just on the financial statements, Cash flow balance sheet and, and PL, an income statement, also on the other al- aspects. Because if you, for example, polluted a river mm. or you have a huge carbon footprint or your people can't earn a living wage, I mean, these are all things, regardless of what you say mm. uh, personally, they are very prominent in the market. So again, it's not a political thing. You know, this is an upswell of sentiment from people who are consumers, and customers, possible employees voting citizens in these Mm. local geographies Mm. Um, and and it it seems that the idea uh, has has really come into the mainstream. It's no longer this thing that there is a uh, corporate and social responsibility unit and someone will report on it and there'll be a report. It's being integrated into Mm -hmm. the CFO's world. These are integrated statements from the World Economic Forum to To a variety, we're working with the UN on some things as well. Where, what are some relevant metrics? Because most people would nod their head and say, "This is a good idea,"
2: right?
0: But one, I can't go to business, Mm. and then two, um, how do I do it? Mm. And so we're still in the early days, but um, the Live Enterprise does respect that as well, because it's it's a broader set of metrics, and by thinking about employees, and by thinking about the um, Environmental footprint—it's something that Infosys has uh, looked at pretty hard in all of our decisions. So we just naturally baked it in to the operating model.
1: So on, on so on, on that note, so if 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 we talk about uh, a living organize uh, orga, um, orga, uh, organization as um, bottom up and learning about customer and reacting to it and agile in respond in responding to the situation, and we talk about. Top down, heavy top down, and sort of very uh, meritocratic organization as sort of non living ones. And I'm if I'm more uh, in uh, aligned with someone um, which is non living in that definition. Like how do you how do you see the journey f- uh, for a non living to turn into a living? Like what are some of the what are some of the steps uh, a non living organization can take to start living in in, in your definition?
0: First of all. If there are individuals, let's say senior individuals that you're working with that you need to persuade, let's say, share, uh, not say media, but share publications and respected organizations who are saying this. Larry Fink of Backrock, for example, the World Economic Forum's leaders is a boardroom agenda item. Mm. If you truly are in a boardroom, you truly are in an executive discussion, the senior most people are now accountable for Mm -hmm. And they're asking about and want to learn more about sustainability Mm -hmm. about these items. Again, it's not just, it's not a feel good. It's not a check the box. It's, it's are being. And if you are dealing or doing business in Northern Europe or actually any part of uh, Western Europe now, these are becoming regulatory requirements. It's kind of like when ISO 9000 or the CE mark or certain trades, whether you like them or not. Right they are requirement to do business. Now, the other aspect of it, again, on a more positive note, is if you're trying to do these things, then it's easier and easier to get people behind you.
2: Mm.
0: It's an easier discussion to have. Your employees and you are part of the team. You and your community are part of the team. You and your partners, your ecosystem. And so it becomes less of a zero sum game. I right, working together here. Uh, and, you know, how can we reduce our total either carbon footprint or waste or, or some other uh, negative metric across trading partners? Mm-hmm. How can we work together? And it's off the charts now as far as the move, you know, moving the needle for what consumers value. In a world where a lot of products are pretty good, the retailer you choose or the, the person you choose to buy your vehicle from, your, your, your fashions from. For your food, it's it's an absolute point of competition now, differentiation. And remember, it isn't just the the carbon footprint. It's also where did you get your product? Was it a conflict diamond? Was it a was the providence? Was it a sweatshop somewhere or, or, or unfair labor practices? Or was it fair trade? There's a variety of things, and that's driving a revolution supply chain. Because the only way you can tell whether it was or not is if you have product traceability all the way up the line that's and not just your supplier, your supplier's supplier. And this is where the technologies like blockchain uh, and freight forwarding and these different types of uh, technologies have practical application. So that's one of the reasons why blockchain is so important for in uh, the physical supply chain, So, so the traceability, establishing trust.
1: Um, thank you for sharing that. Um, so what, what are some of, the, some of the key takeaways that you found um, uh, are you uh, while writing uh,
0: the live enterprise? One, that the idea resonates. Um, this, is, this is a broad statement, but the idea resonates, and the more we peel it back, the more solid it got. Because, again, we, we, we practice many of these things ourselves, and so it, it emboldened us to create more content and to go share the, share the story. As mm. far as the tactical, I think one is this idea of a quantum organization that you can do many things at once. You can't do things sequentially. You can't decide this, then this, then this. You've got to unleash a lot of ideas. Mm. You've got to groom and nurture the best ones. Is it messy? Is it complicated? Yes, but that's the world. It's almost like the Silicon Valley, you know, mindset people like to think about with this culture and cauldron of innovation, you've got to have that because in a, in a world where things are changing a lot, it guarantees that you'll, you'll, you'll navigate because you you'll be more, uh, you will less latency to mm-hmm. when something comes up, if you take advantage of it. Like it's a market. Like if, if someone thinks North America is their big market, well, maybe it was yesterday, maybe something's changed. In the c- certain products. Uh, the second thing is perceptive experiences, that customer experience, design thinking, those types of things are still important. There is now a quantitative dimension going mm. from personas and broad segments to a, an equal one. And there's feedback. Like for example, we mm-hmm. have a client with, uh, with insurance that let's say you're very much a numbers person I'm very much, I don't know, a uh, reference or credibility. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the same information about a quote might be shown to you Mm -hmm. with all these statistics about why it's good and Mm -hmm. the money you'll save. And for me, maybe it's about all these references and the number of stars and the ratings and maybe some quotes. Literally, it's the same information Mm -hmm. because of the psychographic information, not just demographic. It is presented. And this is known why? because of a knowledge graph, because of telemetry, because of all this data that's out there. Uh, and so I think that's another big element. And then these intuitive decisions, it's this duality of we're automating so much work. You once you can document it. It's rules-based, you can automate it. And at the same time, you have this human element of um, it's the empathy of design, of modeling. It's mm. a combination. So it's like an Iron Man suit for a human. You amplify, not replace the human, and a lot more gets done. So those are some of the big things. And the last one I wanted to highlight, because to get change done,
2: mm.
0: we found that a, a, a set of frequent small changes is ultimately the powerful large change. We call it micro is the new mega. There are things like atomic habits or tiny habits, nudge theory, Mm. that these small changes, if you don't go back
2: Mm.
0: over time, they create big changes. Otherwise, you just go in circles. Uh, And this also ties back to these three to six weeks or four to six week cycles of releasing something small and adopting, release and adopt. You do that and the compounding effect over, let's say, a year is, is significant. So those are some of the biggest
1: takeaways. I think one one thing that that I was uh, reading the book, So one thing that stood out was so uh, responsive value chain made sense, uh, intuitive decision making made sense. What is quantum organization like? It's a very creative way to uh, to call an organization. So why like well, exp- explain the, th- the the thinking behind that? It's like
0: Schrodinger's cat. You know, you're trying to th- can something be multiple states at once? Right. So we're trying to convey this idea. That a, an organization needs to have many things going on simultaneously and be multiple things at the same time. It's hard to grasp, but guess what? That's the ugliness of the world we're in. or That's a complexity. And so the ability to have multiple things going on and still function and, and picking the best of them. Uh, and the other is that by having many things going on and not having a clear command and control, but allowing it to evolve so it's quantum and agile. At the same time, uh, and yes, it's it's a nice play on words. We we just found though that the idea of quantum. Mm. And the funny thing is, if you look at one of the um thirty-minute coffee or fireside chats, wef, you know, the, the, the Davos agenda a few weeks mm. ago, they had virtually uh, Sundar pachai the Google or Alphabet, you know, CEO, actually said nature is a quantum organization, and he went this whole mm. idea, the same thing. So it's it kind of interesting <laughs> to see that validated independently.
1: That's, no, I think it's, it's it's a it's a pretty pretty clever play. So um, if you uh, if you talk about the the living organi- um, organization, so what are some of the drivers that that you think that I should be looking at uh, when it comes to organization? So if if I'm living or not living, and if, if I'm if I'm basically evo- evolving the, at the sp- as, at the at the speed or at the pace that I should be evolving.
0: Well. Design your architecture, any of your structures, to evolve, to move, not to be brittle. Um, and so, not just building something, and whew, in about five years I'll get back to it, or three years, knowing that you might need to tinker with it, and that mm-hmm. needs to be a first principle. So, the ability to continue to work on things and change, even these large uh, infrastructure. I think the other driver is hybrid talent you have full-time employees that you develop and learn and nurture you've also got an army of part-time you can call them gig workers uh some cases are part-time that that allow for flex capacity as well as specialization and then the third member of your team is the machines it's not a machine an asset it's literally a team member and the concept of work being distributed and a team um, we work some universities and there's a lot of thinking being put into the, there's no team dynamics and that's something that's important. And then also mention all these small teams. Well, you need to have this shared digital infrastructure that when someone has a good idea or they're trying to get something done, they can use it. Uh, they don't have to recreate it. You don't have islands and silos. Mm. Uh, and that's where you do want a central team, a central. Platform. So maybe the word platform also. You've got a small, you know, a number of platforms that people can plug into, while you're still being distinct. Uh, those are the drivers that we see there. There are others, but those are some of the big mm. points. And the last thing again I want to iterate is, it is human centric, mm. and it is learning. There's, a, there's an aggressive cult learnability that the, the, these human beings are, are learning and keeping skills up. Um, and that ultimately becomes a driver of their success because we want to remove all the friction. So the only thing left is how motivated are employees to learn? Because you can't force somebody to. But that also is a dip, is a sifter on who should be in your company and not. You need learners because without that, you are not going to be live.
1: Fair point. And, um what does talk talk to us about some of the misconceptions that you unsurfaced, like some of some of the surprises that 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 you 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 faced or you unsurfaced while while working on this book?
0: Well, there is technology in the book, there is technology in the model, but it's a human centric approach. There's a lot dedicated to people and behavioral science and how people relate to each other. So misconception is is all about the tech, no. It's about the interplay. It's very human-centric. Second, that it's not just for the tech industry, because, as Mark Andreessen has said, software is eating the world. Well,
2: mm.
0: it's permeating every industry. Mm. So every industry has a dimension of it. So it's not just for you know people making computers. And the third is that it's not just for large companies. This is applicable to startups and small companies, mm. either, because it's what you aspire to be or you're kind of caught in the middle, you don't, you're on a startup, but you don't have the scale of a large company. And so you've got to figure out how you move. Uh, So I think these principles are, are relevant for any size company. And if you're not the largest company, then guess what? You're probably working as part of an ecosystem and your live enterprise might actually be two or three or four companies working together that take on somebody stronger.
1: Interesting. So, um, uh, fair point. So, uh, let's talk about uh, basically who is the ideal reader for this book? Like, so uh, who who is the when when you think of define the ideal reader for the book?
0: It's a professional, probably someone uh, in a management capacity who is worried about change. Actually, it's not true. I, I think that, the, that there's the, the leader who's worried about
2: mm.
0: how they should structure, what they should do to keep up. I mean, let's face it, deep down in places people might not want to talk about, they are concerned about the Googles and the Facebooks and the Amazons. Mm. And they're also a little bit curious. Why can't we be more like that? We were here before they got here. We've done all these great things. Why can't we capture some of that magic? And I think that anyone is a professional or a leader that seeks to figure out how their company and them, they themselves can be a little more like a digital native if they're not already. I think that's that's a good reader. You need to be curious. You need to want to adopt some of these things. If you are, I think that at the individual level or as a manager, it's a fit. And and then the other aspect is we we've tried to also make it where it's a very – Entertaining read. In other words, these nature examples pull you in. There is this triple helix where we talk about mm. uh, it relates to DNA and about sustainability. And it really breaks down or deconstructs what stakeholder capitalism is into very practical, bailing wire and duct tape kind of terms, you know, that this is what it is. Uh, and you know what? There are people who are zealots. They just say it's good, you should do it. But you know what? If you don't get the data, mm. If you don't have a rational to back it up, you're not going to pull in the vast majority of people. So we want to say, yes, these are good ideas. And in fact, even more, here's why they're good. Mm. Here's what's backing them up. Here's some real challenges we have to overcome before everybody can adopt them. So, um, that's, that's who I think the ideal reader is. Uh, we also hope that this is a perennial, um, mm. uh, contribution to the body of knowledge. You know, it's not a bestseller day one, but it's relevant and we hope it will be for some time.
1: No, I think so. One thing I find really fascinating uh, with the book, so uh, this is a personal story. So whenever I ask one of my team members to write, uh, prepare a presentation for a client or anyone, I, I, I tell them, hey, create two slides. So left brain and right brain slide. So left brain, create a natural journey, give sort of the story, and, and and on the right side, just do with data, like throw in data, right? So if if I mm-hmm. and, and tell them, hey, just go to even slides and odd slides based on which type you are, and if, if you if you care to look at sneak into the other territory, be at it. So I think one thing that I was reading that that book, um, uh, one of the one of the funny thing was that you had this uh, this sort of uh, mix between between the nature and and the data and the metric. Mm -hmm. I think that that it it speaks about like your struggle between the two uh, and and actually bringing the both worlds together. It's, it's fascinating. It's, I think from that point of view, it's
0: just, it,
1: it, it runs, it hits pretty home
0: uh, when I was reading it. That's a good insight. That is a good insight that I, I'd I'd like to change the word struggle to duality that uh, while they're separate, that was our way of tying them together because when we peeled it back and I gotta have to say this, one of the, the joys of doing this was talking to so many of these environmentalists or, or, mm. or, or explorers um, and just leaders out there, literally in the field and under glaciers and in icebergs and in the jungles. And that really understood the science and the depths and complexity behind some of these beautiful things in nature and to see all that's going on. Um, to me, it, it became more of a duality than a conflict. And so, a goal I had as we wrote this was to bring out that duality—that mm-hmm. it wasn't one or the other; they both existed. and That was beautiful, yeah. and people could still take something, appreciate the beauty, and get the data and get the rows and columns at the same time.
1: Fascinating. I think that's uh, that's that's pretty nice. So let's let's move at the last uh, part of the, of the conversation. So I want to spend a few minutes on your journey so uh, uh, in, in this section we ask all of our um, guests to share some of their their sort of highlights that has helped them become successful so my next question is so if you want to pin some qualities that has helped you shape you become what you have become like what are those qualities or what are those those tenets that really helped you become what you are today
0: This may not sound all that glamorous, uh, but there's this phrase, grateful service, um, having an attitude of, of grateful service, grateful for the situation you have, because there's many people, whatever situation you're in, that, that have it worse. And also this idea of service, doing something bigger than yourself. It's outwardly focused. Uh, and maybe that sounds obvious being consulting for a lot of years, but I, I tell a lot of individuals who maybe more than should that. They were absolutely in it to sort of extract, not 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 give. Uh, not that they were they were destructive, but you could just mm. tell. You know how much can I get from this? Because it was a deal or whatever it was, not so much the creative part. And I think by by having this attitude of grateful service, one, it gives you the confidence that you're working for a bit of a greater purpose, and so you can be bolder, and you can overcome maybe insecurities and things like that. And also, it shows. You can, do, you can either develop followers or, or just teammates or colleagues, and negotiations are different. You're on the same side of the desk, metaphorically, and you're trying to see, is the business case there to do business, mm. not do I trust you? Uh, and it's a rallying cry. And maybe I'm not persuasive enough, but I'd rather uh, have us all behind the same big idea than me trying to somehow outwit somebody. So grateful service is one. Um, the other is intellectual curiosity, just just mm. genuinely being interested in noticing something. I was uh, fortunate enough the September before last to be in Helsinki uh, at this education conference. And I was walking along with this um, a woman who was part of the U.N. We we're doing our thing and going to, the ho- um, you know, I was, I was going back after dinner and there's these lines that were on the pavement. I said, what is that? She said, I don't know. I've lived here all my life and didn't notice it. It was actually where the ocean used to be and the different types of you know shellfish or whatever crustacean creatures were there. You know, she had lived there for 30, 40 years, and there were things literally under your feet. And I, I think that's the, the they're all around us. It's amazing. In fact, I, I, would, I, I asked your audience, now that they've been home for a year, many mm. of them, mm. how many things around your house – Have you noticed for the first time in years, either in the back of your refrigerator that you shouldn't have in there, or in the back of a closet, you say, wow, I forgot I had that. So I think just just being genuinely curious is is also something that's uh, served well. Pretty fascinating, and and I think the other thing that that was I
1: I finding excite um, ecstatic about is is your background, some of the some of the amazing books that 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 display, and I know that live enterprise live enterprise and consulting essentially is something that you wrote. So talk to us about some of your favorite reads, if if you have any any favorite reads to share to our listeners and viewers.
0: Um, Carl Sagan was, was an amazing person, mm-hmm. and he mm-hmm. wrote a book called Contact. Mm-hmm. Many of us have probably seen the movie Contact, which is mm-hmm. good the book's even better. Mm. It really goes into this duality of religion and science and the mm. hopeful and, and the, you know, the, the real world of it's not so pretty, and, but it's a good book. Uh, the other is um, The Nature of Nature. It just released mm. a few months ago, mm. Dr. Nruksala, who I interviewed and got to know in the course of the book and the podcast that I host. Uh, and fascinating, You know, a gentleman who understands business who actually is the modern day Jacques Cousteau sharing and capturing um, he's the national explorer and resident for national geographic uh, and, and bringing these and helping countries you know, create these preserves. And so it's an amazing book. Um, so those are two, uh, there are a few other ones I think that are interesting. You know, if, if anyone likes, uh, Oh measurement and history There's a book called longitude. Mm-hmm.
2: That is the race for, yeah. for
0: figuring out longitude. Cause latitude is pretty simple. Mm. with you know following the sun mm. you know columbus when he, when he came to the u.s literally sit on the 40th parallel and just mm. followed it west
2: yeah that was like, literally a, his game plan. Yes, yes
0: whereas longitude was very difficult and there was this grand prize and competition and uh it's it's, it's, it's a quick read and then lastly um the endurance you know mm. the shackleton's mm. voyage to uh, antarctica and it's good for two reasons one it's just an amazing thing against the odds and some of the seamanship and all that the other is they just happened to have a world-class photographer mm. on board in this this, whale, this this sailing ship. And as a result, the photography is phenomenal. And uh, so just for that alone, it's a good copy book.
1: Awesome. Awesome. So now we're at the last of our conversation. So if you want something mm-hmm. for our listeners and viewers to take away from this conversation, like what would be one thing that uh, the listeners and viewers could take away?
0: Well, I already mentioned this uh, attitude of grateful service, and I I really believe in that. Uh, It's not just helpful for others. It just just keeps your soul light, I think. Uh, The other aspect is we live in an amazing age, depending on what you let through the filters, uh, it can be pretty depressing or pretty overwhelming. At the same time, it is like an Iron Man suit. Mm. There's so many things that can empower us. I never imagined years ago I'd be having a discussion like this with you. Mm. You The fact that more than two people might even hear it, you know? And so I think that you know more than you think, you can reach more people than you think, and you can make a bi- have a bigger impact than you think. And um, life is uh, it was interesting. Someone had said life is a you know it's a marathon. No, I think life is a series of hundred yard, hundred meter sprints. Hmm. You sprint a little bit as fast as you can, you rest. You do it again, you do it again, you do it again. And so I think the ability to be fully in that, uh, and immersed in doing that, pausing, enjoying the fruits of your labors, you're just resting and then doing it again. Otherwise, it becomes a grind. And so at least for me, there's some things to think about.
1: Awesome. Uh, with that, Jeff, uh, thank you so, so much for for spending time with us with our listeners and viewers i think we learned a lot so we learned that uh, we should always be living our organization should be always be living. it should be adopting and i think your grateful service is a, a wonderful message during this time of of, of testing where we all need to rise up to our occasion and sort of help uh, each other out uh, come out of it so i do appreciate you sharing this book with us i do appreciate you um in coming on the platform and 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 talking about uh talking to our our, our community about about the book and your journey thank you so much and wish you nothing but success on 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 the book and love to as you said it's a perennial thing hope to hope to see you again uh rising up again with the, with another one um on the show you always back on back on the podcast to hear from you your journey and how as things turn up and thank you so much for your time
0: Thank you. I really enjoyed it. I was homesick. Never really knew that I would have to grow so quick.